Have you ever thought that your sin was so terrible that maybe God would be unable to forgive you? I know I have. In today's podcast, I'm going to prove without a shadow of a doubt that your greatest sin is forgivable. Welcome to the Hope, Healing, and Freedom podcast, brought to you by Restoring the Foundations International. Our desire is to equip you with biblical truth to empower you to live a full life of freedom in Christ. For more, please visit restoringthefoundations.org. Now, here's your podcast. Luke 15, verse 20 is our verse for today. When he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him repeatedly. Hi, this is Lee Whitman, and for many years, I believe that my sin was so great, so horrible, that God could never forgive me. You see, much of my sin was committed after becoming a Christian, which in my mind made my sin unforgivable. The story found in Luke 15 is one we call the story of the prodigal son. When I looked at the story in the context of the time it was written, it changed my life forever, and I hope it will, it will bring you peace as well. This story, however, is not as much about the prodigal son as it is about the great love and forgiveness of the Father. This is a story that Jesus told us so that we could know what his Father God was like. So I encourage you to read the whole story found in Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. But we're going to begin our podcast by looking at the son's actions and putting them into the context of the day. In the process, I want you to recognize that each of these things are sins against his father. Look at the amount of sin this boy committed against his father. So the first thing the son does is he thinks his way of living life would be better than living in his father's house. I know how to live my life better than you do, would be the comment that he'd made. <laughs> I'm glad we never do that, right? The second thing he does is ask his father for the portion of the inheritance that is due him right now. It would have been normal for the eldest son to ask his father for his portion of the estate, but it was completely out of the custom for the younger son to do so. In essence, he was saying to his father, I wish you were dead. I want what is coming to me, and I want it now. Third thing he does is he takes the money and he leaves. Now, this says two things. First, it says that he's rejecting his heritage. He's rejecting everything that his father stands for. He's leaving his family and the family estate. This also says that this father was a very wealthy man. Most people of that day had their wealth tied up in property and livestock. For this father to have enough wealth that he could give his son his portion meant that he was a very wealthy man. This boy took the money that his father had worked all of his life to earn and left home. The fourth thing we see is that he takes his newfound wealth and leaves the country. He not only turns his back on his family heritage, but he turns his back on his national heritage. Now, this was not something that a Jewish boy would ever think of doing. Leaving his family was one offense, but leaving his country was another offense altogether. Fifth, he spends his father's hard-earned inheritance on wine, women, and song. He lives the life of a playboy. And I'm sure that while he had money, he had all kinds of friends who helped him party his money away. 
Sixth, when he had run out of money, he hired on with a citizen of that foreign country. Now, we don't understand this in our culture, but for him to work for or hire on to someone from another culture was forbidden. This was the son of a wealthy Jewish landowner. To submit himself to someone of another country was something no self-respecting Jewish man would do. Seventh, he hired on to feed this foreigner's pigs. Not only was this a job that was way below this boy's status in life, but it was also something that would have made him religiously unclean. This boy would have been raised knowing the religious laws. He would have known that this activity was forbidden. Yet, he had fallen so low that he allowed himself to stoop to this unclean job. In doing so, he turned his back on his religion. So let's look at all that this boy had done. Now remember, if these were sins, look at the amount of sin that he committed against his father. He rebelled against his father. He told his father he wished he were dead. He turned his back on his family and his family heritage. He turned his back on his country and the national heritage. He disrespected his father's hard work by blowing his inheritance on loose living. He hired on to work for a foreigner, stooping way below his upbringing. And he turns his back on his religion. In my mind, I don't know what this boy could have done anything more offensive towards his father. When you add up all of these sins, the list would be hard for us to equal today. Now, before we look at the father's response, I want to point out two really important aspects of this story. First is the grace of God found in a famine. What? Grace in a famine? You betcha. It says when the famine hit, the boy came to his senses. In other words, this boy was out of his mind when he ran away and blew all of his father's money. Not literally out of his physical mind, but he was under the influence of deception, which made this rebellious behavior seem reasonable. That's the power of sin. It can distort our thinking so that we can't think clearly. This distortion can become so strong that we justify our sinful behavior. The famine caused him to wake up and to think clearly again. The second thing that happened is that when he came to his senses, the first thought he thought about was returning to his father. Sin had distorted his view of his father, causing him to rebel. But once the deception was removed, the boy was drawn back to his father. He knew that in his father's house, he would be taken care of. He was drawn back home by the love of his father. So now let's look at how the father responded. Remember that this is a story showing us what Father God is really like. The first thing is the father gave him the money and allowed him to leave. Now, by all rights, he could have told his son to go jump in a lake. But in the father's wisdom, he knew that in order to have his son's whole heart, he needed to allow him to take the money and leave. Now, isn't that just like our father God as well? Sometimes he allows us to have things that are not necessarily good for us because we need to get something out of our system and come to our senses. Secondly, the father never stopped waiting and watching for his son's return. I can just see the father sitting on the front porch day after day, looking off in the distance, looking for his son's return. Third, when he spotted his son coming up the road, he ran down the driveway to greet him. Now, this was a wealthy landowner. Running down the driveway was not something a man in his position should do. 
He should have just sent one of his servants to fetch the boy, but no, he abandoned his dignity and the opinion of all the slaves and servants and ran because his son had returned home. Next, he threw himself on the boy, read bear hug, and kissed him repeatedly. Now, where'd this boy just come from? He'd been living with the swine. If you've ever been around a pig farm, you know the smell is unfathomable. So how many kisses do you think it took the father to figure out what this boy had been into? But the pig slop on his son did not stop him from kissing his son repeatedly. Now, for the father to touch the pig slop-stained son would have made the father religiously unclean as well. Did that stop him from kissing his son? Nope. That did not stop his father from lavishing affection on this pig slop-stained son. Next, he told his servants to bring three things from the house, a robe, a ring, and sandals. Each one of these items represents something very important. The first thing he told his servants to bring was the best robe. This speaks of the robe of righteousness that we're given. The son was covered in his sinful behavior. Instead of bringing the boy into the house to change his filthy clothes and to be seen by all the servants and the slaves, he covered his filth with his robe. Now, and he told the servants to get his best robe out of the closet. You know, he could have said, go get that old, worn out, threadbare green robe from the back of my closet. And it would have covered the dirt. But no, I think he told them to bring his best robe because he had to convince his son of his value. This son came home saying he didn't deserve to even be his son. He asked his father to make him as one of the hired servants. Now, in the father's house, there would have been slaves and hired servants. Slaves would have been treated almost like family. They would have lived on the estate their entire life, and everything they needed would have been provided by the landowner. Hired servants, on the other hand, were only paid for their labor. This boy thought so little of himself that he was hoping that he could hire himself on to his father as a hired servant, knowing that the hired servants were given better care than what he just experienced. By putting the best robe on his son to cover his shame, the father was communicating to his son the boy's value and identity. I can almost hear the father put the robe on this boy and say, no one in that house will know of the dirt you got into. That's just between you and me, and I ain't telling. Uh, that's Southern translation, by the way. The second thing the servants brought was the ring. The ring would have been the signet ring of the estate. It represented authority. Whoever wore the ring was in charge on this property. Wow, what an amazing statement this makes. The son walked away from his father in his father's house, but he never stopped being his father's son. You know, many people have said that this is a story of someone repenting and coming to faith in Christ for the very first time. I don't think so. I think it's a story of a son, a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, getting off into sin, and God the Father's response. Because this boy was still a son, he was put back in authority over the family property. Did he deserve to have his authority back? No way. But being a son meant he was still in authority. The third thing the servants brought were sandals. This speaks to the depth of poverty this boy had sunk into. He became so poor that he sold his sandals. I just imagine the father giving his son a hug and saying, 
Your poverty is just between you and me. When we go back into that house, you can keep your head up because you are my son. The last thing the father does is have the servants kill the fatted calf and throw a party. Now, the fatted calf was raised especially for when dignitaries came to visit their home. So to kill the fatted calf was an extraordinary event. Now, before we leave the story, we must mention the father's older son. He had been home faithfully working in his father's fields when he discovered that his worthless younger brother was home and his father was throwing him a party. He was mad. He confronted his father and told him off by saying that he'd been faithfully serving his father all his life and the father never gave him even a goat to have a party with his friends. Now, I'm going to try and put the father's response into my own words as a father myself, but you can read it for yourself in verses 31 and 32. I can just see the pain in this father's heart as he looks at his son's eyes and says, oh, my son, we've always been together. Everything I have is also yours. You could have had a party with your friends any time you wanted. Now, the sad part about the older son was that he spent all of his life working for his father, and he missed enjoying a relationship with his father. It would be almost impossible for us to equal the list of sins committed by this son towards his father. Yet Jesus told us this story so that we would know what his father's like. He is a father who runs to forgive us and cover our sin and shame with his best robe of righteousness. Father God, I thank you that you are that God who runs to greet us, that you don't let dignity, you don't let the the stain of sin get in the way, but you run to us and you throw your arms around us and kiss us repeatedly, even when we don't deserve it, even when we've been off into sin. So, Father, I ask today that anyone that's listening to this that has any doubt that they have committed too much sin or their sin is too great that you could never forgive, Lord, take this story, take this message, and just make it real to them. Let them see who you are, what you're really like, and that you desire relationship above all else. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Hope, Healing, and Freedom podcast today. We pray you are blessed and equipped with biblical truth, empowering you to live a full life of freedom in Christ. To learn more about the ministry of Restoring the Foundations International, please visit restoringthefoundations.org. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode.